Uh, let me pray for us, and we'll jump into the message this morning. Heavenly Father, you know, as we gather together today, I think many of us gather uh, with things on our hearts, um, friends or loved ones that are dealing with health issues, uh, other challenges that we're facing in life, and Father, I'm so thankful for the promise that we have that we read in the book of Hebrews that says we can come boldly before your throne, letting our requests be made known. We don't have to hold anything back knowing that you'll give us grace and mercy when we need it the most. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us grace and mercy today. We recognize, Father, our need for you, and so we ask that you would be at work in our lives and God, even as we spend the next few minutes looking at your word today, I pray that you would challenge us um, through the work of your spirit. You would help us to understand who you want us to be for those of us who placed our, our faith and trust in Jesus as our Savior. And if there's anyone here who hasn't made that decision, uh, Lord, maybe you would just continue to draw them to yourself and help them to recognize their need for Jesus. Thanks for the privilege that we have as a church to gather together in your name and to serve people in your name. And I pray, Father, that you would continue to allow us to do that, open more doors um, for that so that we can make a greater impact as we point people back to you, because you are our hope. And it's in the name of our Savior Jesus that we pray, amen. The 1998 movie, Fallen, starred Denzel Washington, who played a police detective who was investigating a series of murders. During the course of his investigation, he came to understand that the murders were committed by different people who had all been possessed by a demon named Azazel. So for those of us who watched the movie, we were left wondering, could that be real? Or how much of that could be real? Are demons real? Another movie that also came out in 1998 is the movie City of Angels. It starred Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage played the character of an angel who fell in love with a mortal, played by Meg Ryan. Cage's character was an angel that was assigned the responsibility of ushering people into the afterlife as they... Um, went from this life into the next. That's kind of the way that the movie goes. And Meg Ryan played this doctor who just refused to let people die. So to make a long story short, in the course of the movie, Cage found out that there was a way that you could become human. And so he decided to take that road so that he could live happily ever after with Meg Ryan's character. Didn't quite work out. Well, for those of you that might want to watch the movie, I won't reveal any more of the plot. But again, for those of us who watched that movie, we were left wondering, could this be real? How much of that could be real? Are angels real? Now, those two movies are a little bit older now, but our obsession with the paranormal continues with even shows like today, like Ghost Hunters. If you've ever seen that, it's people that go into places that are supposedly haunted for the purpose of trying to make connections with the ghosts who supposedly live there. And again, if you've ever watched that show, you're left wondering, is that real? How much of that could be real? Are ghosts real? On, on one hand, it would be really easy to just kind of ignore all of that stuff, 
because we can't see it. Uh, and we have enough in the material world to worry about, so why even think about any of that stuff? And if I'm really honest, that's where I would like to live. I'd like to ignore all of that stuff and pretend like it doesn't even exist at all. You know, the reality is, it's interesting, the Bible talks about angels, demons, there may even be an appearance of a ghost, which we're not going to talk about today, but you can ask me after the service and I'll talk to you a little bit about that if you're interested in that. But because the Bible does talk about this stuff, we probably need to talk about it in service every once in a while so that we understand what is real and then maybe even more importantly what to do with it when we hear the stories or when we see the movies or whatever it is. And so that's what we're going to do today. So if you do have your Bible, I'd invite you to turn to the passage that we're looking at. It's Luke chapter 8, and we're gonna, I'll, I'll read in just a second, Luke 8, 26 through 39. So we are continuing our series called The Miracle Healer, and this is another miracle healing story of Jesus. This one's kind of interesting because I think it does give us a glimpse into the unseen realm. So we're going to talk about what we see in the passage, what is real, and then we'll finish with what we do with all of this, because I think that's the most important part. So let me read this section for us in Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Then they, this is Jesus and the disciples, they sailed to a country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes and had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What's your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it to the city and in the country, and the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. I think this story of the healing of the Gerasene demoniac, that's how it's often referred to, is fascinating on so many levels. Said that Jesus with the disciples, they arrived in that region, the region of the Gerasenes. They got out of the boat and were then welcomed by this man who was demon possessed. Probably not the welcoming committee that 
the chamber of commerce would have wanted for Jesus, but that's the first person that he came into contact with. And I'm going to talk through what happens in just a second, but before we do, I want you to think about what it would be like to live in that area. Because you always lived in fear. The crazy guy who lives down the street in the tombs, in the, in the caves down there, says that he was chained up and under guard for fear of like how he would hurt people. And so there were all of these stories that were told. Every parent had to sit down with their kids and say, listen, don't go down there. If you ever see him, run the opposite direction because you just don't know what he's going to do. And so they all lived in fear. When I was a little kid, there was a man that lived down the street from us who was supposedly really, really mean. His name was Mr. Wilson. I heard all kinds of stories about Mr. Wilson. He was the guy that if you step foot in his grass, like immediately he would come outside and begin to yell at you, or at least those were what the stories were. So if there was ever a ball that went into Mr. Wilson's yard, nobody went and got it. We would often play hide and seek in the woods behind several of the houses. His house was one of those. We couldn't cut through his yard to get back there. If you did at some time, you know, every once in a while that happened, like you were super brave to do that because you just never knew what was going to happen. I don't know if any of those stories were true. I never once saw Mr. Wilson yell at anybody. But they, we all told stories. In this situation with the garrison demoniac, the stories were worse. And they were real. So Jesus, he first meets this man who was possessed by a demon... And immediately, somehow, the the demon recognizes who Jesus is and says, What do you have to do with me, son of the most high God? In that moment, if I were Jesus, listen, I'm sprinting the other way. I'm out of there. But I'm not Jesus. Jesus is not me. And so he handles things very differently. And he actually engages this guy in conversation. And he says, What's your name? He said, Legion. Legion is a designation for a regiment of Roman soldiers that would have numbered a thousand. Now, whether or not we're supposed to understand that literally, because it said that he had many demons, or if it just meant a lot, we're not really sure. But Legion says to Jesus, don't cast us into the abyss which is probably a reference to what we would commonly refer to as hell more specifically, probably the lake of fire, which is the place of eternal torment that was created for Satan and his demons. He says, don't cast us into the abyss, but there's a herd of pigs over there. Let us go into the pigs. And so Jesus allowed that to happen, so he cast the demons out of the man. They went into the herd of pigs, and immediately they ran off the cliff into the sea and were drowned. And all of a sudden, there are all kinds of questions that we want to ask about what just happened. Like, do demons have to have a host? Otherwise, why would they ask about going into the pigs? What happened to the demons after the pigs drowned? We don't know the answers to those things. So there's a lot that we look at we want to ask questions about, but the reality is we, I'm not sure that we can even begin to answer some of those questions, but here's what I do know. 
In an instant, that man who was once possessed by many, many demons sat there in front of Jesus, miraculously healed and in his right mind. Now, again, a lot of questions that we want to ask. I don't know that we have the answers to the questions that we want to ask, but I think maybe we should, because this does give us a glimpse into the unseen world, we probably need to talk about that, and I need to answer some questions that maybe I can't answer, rather than the questions that I'm not sure that I know the answer to, and so I want to do that. Because I think, again, like what we see in this passage is that there is more to the struggle than just what we see. Kind of the go-to passage for what we refer to as spiritual warfare is Ephesians chapter 6. It's in Ephesians 6 that we read, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's the words of the Apostle Paul. He said, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers and spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly realms. The heavenly realms is what I'm referring to as the unseen realm. And the principalities and powers, if that's what our struggle against, is a reference to the ideologies that stand against the kingdom of God, as well as the beings that promote the ideologies that stand against the kingdom of God. That's what we refer to as demons. And so who are, or, or what are demons? Well, we read in Scripture that God did not even spare his angels when they sin, but cast them into hell. And so what we refer to as demons are actually fallen angels who uh, were, became followers of Lucifer or Satan. Satan was once the, the highest ranking of angels But in his pride, he wanted to be God, and so he fell, and Scripture teaches that he took a third of the angels with him. So then we want to know, okay, well, well, what do demons do, or how much power do they have? And I'm not really sure that we can be 100% certain on that. I think the best thing that we can do is read in Scripture about people who are described as being demon-possessed, and we see what happened to them. Like in this case, this man was living as an insane person, and certainly the, the demons caused him to be that way. Another specific instance, a little boy who was uh, brought to the disciples as demon-possessed, his father described the circumstances of his life and that he had seizures, almost like an epileptic seizure. And so the best thing that we can do, rather than being real definitive on here's how much power demons have or here's exactly what they do all the time, we can just read and describe what they did. That's what we know. One of the things that's really interesting, though, is nowhere does it say how or why these people became demon-possessed. But what we do know about demons is that they are intent on destroying people's lives. That's their work, to destroy our lives. Another question that you might want to ask is, well, why don't we see things like that today? These things that we read about in Scripture, why don't we see more of those kinds of things happening today? And, and, and it's a great question because it's not like this is just a one-off event. 
If it was just one time, we'd say, well, that happened, but maybe it doesn't happen a lot. But the reality is at the time of Jesus, he encountered people who were demon-possessed often. He's often described as casting out demons from people. He even sent out his disciples, not just the 12, but the 72, with the power to cast out demons. And so it seems like this is somewhat of a common occurrence, at least within the first century. And so why we don't see more of that today, I think, is a really, really good question. And I want to try to answer that as fairly as possible. From the perspective of, listen, I am super skeptical of a lot of things, too. I don't always know what to do with everything, but I think it's possible that some people may see things like we read about in Scripture, like we read in this story of the Gerasen demoniac. Some people may experience things like that more than we think about or more than we hear about. Because there are stories, stories of missionaries in places like Haiti or other tribal cultures where there uh, is witch doctors and, and things like that. You, you hear stories. Again, I don't, I don't have any firsthand information. It's kind of, I've heard from people who've heard from people who've heard from people, stuff like that. I mean, there's stories out there, so that's entirely possible. At the same time, I will tell you, I have never been invited to investigate a situation where there was potentially a situation of demon possession, nor have I ever been invited to pray over a person or have an exorcism like in The Exorcist. I don't know that I would be really good at that, but I've never been invited to be a part of anything like that. But again, I've heard stories. Not firsthand, but, you know, heard from somebody who heard from somebody, that kind of thing. And so it's entirely possible that things may happen more than we like to think about. At the same time, I think as we look at some of the stories in Scripture, it's entirely possible that what we see in Scripture would today be diagnosed as something like schizophrenia. Psychologists and psychiatrists have often read stories of demon possession, and they look at them and at the symptoms and say, man, that's schizophrenia or that's epilepsy. And, and so maybe that's part of it today, which creates a whole another series of questions because we can control schizophrenia with medication and how that works and what's exactly happening. And those are, again, that's a, a lane of questioning. I don't know the answers to. I'm just like, I think this is all possible, right? And so we just, I mean, the questions that are out there, I don't know the answers to those things. I also think in a modern society like ours, it's entirely possible that Satan uses different tactics today to keep us from God and to destroy our lives. Like things like selfishness or complacency. Maybe though that methodology is more effective today than fear and the fanatical, kind of like we read about in the New Testament. So there's a lot of questions that I, I really honestly I don't know the answers to. But I, I think what this passage shows us is that there is absolutely more to what we experience than just what we see. And part of that is the reality of demonic forces at work trying to destroy our lives. So we have to 
recognize the reality of demons, but yet at the same time, we also need to understand that there are forces who are fighting for us. There are forces fighting against us, demonic forces, but then there are also forces in the unseen world that are fighting for us, and those forces are what we refer to as angels. And we need to talk about angels a little bit, because there are tons of misconceptions about angels. And I know people say this all the time when someone passes away, well, God must have needed another angel. But angels aren't people who have died. Angels are created beings who are special servants of God. And so we see angels throughout scripture. We see some angels who are in the presence of God all the time singing his praises. We see angels as special messengers dispatched to people like the angel Gabriel who went to Mary and said, hey, you're going to have You're going to give birth to the Messiah. We also see angels who are either protecting or fighting for people. A great uh, story is kind of the famous story of Daniel in the lion's den. So in the book of Daniel, we read about this. Daniel, uh, there was a decree. Daniel's living in Babylon, a decree from King Darius that no one could pray to any other God or any other person other than Darius for 30 days. But Daniel was a follower of God, so he couldn't do that. He kept on praying. And the punishment for praying to God was that he was thrown into the lion's den. And it was Daniel himself who said that God has sent his angels to shut the mouths of the lions. Jesus said of children, their angels always see the face of of my father. It's actually from that single verse that we get the idea of guardian angels. Whether or not we are individually assigned an angel who watches out for us throughout the course of our lives from birth till death, it's not super clear, but I think the thing that we can say from what we read in scripture is that at least at points angels protect us or fight for us. And so we recognize again in this unseen realm that we cannot, right, it's, we don't really know what's happening, but there is more to the struggle than what we see. There are demonic forces fighting against us, also angels who are fighting for us. I, I think part of this passage helps us to see something of that unseen realm. And I don't know where you are today. I don't, maybe you've never really thought about this before. Maybe this sounds really strange. You're not really sure what to do with all this. Maybe you'd like to ignore it. And listen, I'm one of those people. I would like to ignore it too, but the reality is it's there. And so the question really is, what do we do with all of this? And so I want to give you three things. And again, I think this is the most significant thing in the message today, these three things. Number one, what do we do with all this? Trust Jesus. One of the things that I think is really fascinating in this is that from the moment that this Gerasene demoniac came into contact with Jesus, Legion, he or they, I'm not really sure how he's supposed to be referred to, but he knew exactly who Jesus was. He knew Jesus' power, and he begins to beg for mercy. He knew that with a word, Jesus could annihilate him, them, on the spot. And so as I look at this story, and recognize that there is this unseen realm. I, I, I don't know what's happening, but here's the thing. Jesus does. And so rather than me trying to 
understand all of the things that are happening around me. I'm just going to place my faith and trust in the one who has the ability to see things that I cannot see and do things that I cannot do, and I am going to follow after him. And that's the call that we've been given, to simply follow after and trust in Jesus. Now, there are lots of things that could distract us from that pursuit, following Jesus. It could be a preoccupation with the unseen realm. I think something that distracts a lot of people today is a preoccupation with end times events. And it's weird because with both of those things, if we could just understand what's happening out there that we cannot see or when the end times is, it's like it gives us this special insight and maybe power maybe over other people. But nowhere in scripture does it say, figure all this stuff out because we're just called to follow Jesus. And if we are putting our faith in Jesus and trusting in him, here's the reality. We don't have anything to be afraid of because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Second thing I think is really important, that we maintain a proper perspective in all of this. See, on one hand, we could absolutely deny the existence of the unseen realm. We won't pay any attention to it. We'll never talk about it. We'll never think about it. I think that would be unbalanced. At the same time, we could swing the pendulum all the way to the other end and be overly preoccupied with what's happening in the unseen realm so that we go around casting out demons of all of the things all of the time or associating all kinds of behaviors with Satan and satanic influence in the way that the church lady does from the old Saturday Night Live skits. And honestly, there are people on both ends of the spectrum. Neither one, to me, are super helpful. So we got to have balance in this. Balance, for me, helps me to recognize my need for prayer in all of this process. And go back to Ephesians 6. So Paul's writing about spiritual warfare. Remember, this is the go-to passage in the entire Bible. And so he says, hey, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against these principalities and powers. And he says, here's what we need to do. We need to put on the whole armor of God so that we're able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And he explains what the armor of God is. Then at the end of that passage, he says this. It's really simple, but very profound. And keep on praying for all the saints. Now, why does he say that? Because prayer is vital in our ability to overcome the schemes of Satan. So we need to We can't see it, so there's not much we can do about it, but let's pray to the one who has the ability to do something about it. I think something else that is kind of out of balance in all of this is when we begin to ascribe everything that we do to Satan. Like where It's like, well, the devil made me do it. Nowhere is that ever a good excuse. There is more to our struggle than what we see, but the devil made me do it is never something that should be a part of our thinking because we have to take responsibility for our own sin. And as soon as we recognize that sin, we confess it and get right to God, get right with God. I've said this before to people in talking about this. The reality is for myself, I don't know where I end and Satan begins or where Satan ends and and I begin. Because I know I am responsible for my own actions, and if I do something wrong, I have the responsibility to get it right. I can't say the devil made me do it. So as we think about this event that Jesus healing the the garrison demoniac, what do we do with all of this? I think we put our trust in Jesus. That's first and foremost. We maintain the proper perspective, and then here's the last thing, and we'll be finished. Tell other people what Jesus has done. 
the end of this event absolutely blows my mind. Because we find that he is, this man is healed in his right mind, and who knows how long he had been in his former mind. And he's been healed. And what we find is that he wanted to become a follower of Jesus, like one of the 12, like travel with Jesus all the time. And Jesus said, no, which seems crazy. But Jesus told him, I want you to go back and tell everyone what God has done. And I will tell you, that's the point of this event, is to help every one of us who place our faith and trust in Jesus to recognize that because of the work of Jesus, we have been set free from our sin and been brought into a relationship with God that changes everything about us and lasts for all eternity. And what we are supposed to be doing as a result of what God has done is not looking for the next big miracle as much as it is telling other people what he has already done for us. That's our call to tell people what Jesus has done. And there are all kinds of things in the world that could distract us from the call that God has placed on our lives. An over-preoccupation with the unseen world could be one of those things. Living in fear could be one of those things. But what we see in this man's life, as soon as he was healed and brought to his right mind, Jesus said, I want you to go home. Go home and tell people what God has done for you. And that's the challenge that I leave all of us with today. Because our faith is not about just what happens as we gather together here. It is all about what happens when we go home. Because we're supposed to be telling people all the things that God has done. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, may you open our eyes to the opportunities that you give to us on a daily basis. In our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our work, the places that we go to share with people just how much you've done for us. Because when we were lost in our sin, you sent your one and only son, Jesus, who came to this earth and took upon himself human flesh and laid down his life for us, dying on the cross, so that we could be forgiven and know you. Father, I pray that you would continue the work of setting us free from our sinfulness so that in everything our lives are completely transformed and we reflect your character in all that we do. Father, have your way in us. Give us opportunities to tell people maybe even this week just how much you've done for us. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.